Our scripture for this morning is uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. This is the word of God for us today. Well, let's start with a game of true or false. I'm going to make a statement, and then I'm going to ask you to raise your hand if you think it's true, and then raise your hand if you think it's false. So everybody vote on this. If you don't vote, you're a giant wuss, so please vote. Um, the Bible is the most shoplifted book um, in the world. Raise your hand if you think that is true. Raise your hand if you think that is false. It is actually true. The Bible is the most shoplifted book in the world. Next statement. You burn more calories eating celery than are what are actually in celery. Raise your hand if you think that is true. Raise your hand if you think that is false. That is, in fact, true. But... But I know some of you are really excited, but you are not counting the one pound of butter that you, or the peanut butter that you put on that celery to eat. That, those calories count as well. Last statement. There are 31 muscles in a cat's ear. Raise your hand if you think that is true. Raise your hand if you think that is false. And the answer is, who cares how many muscles are in a cat's ear? Um, I want to talk a little bit about truth today. Uh, there is a well-known conversation that Jesus had with Pilate uh, before he was crucified, but it's just, it's so good and so helpful. And so I want to actually just read that for you real quick. It's John chapter 18, verses 37 through 38. It says, uh, you are a king, then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And then Pilate answers, and we don't really know if he was being sarcastic. We don't really know if he was being serious, but he answers with the question, what is truth? Now, the answer to that question is really important for us because it determines so much about the way that we live today. It determines so much about how we behave uh, relationally. It determines how we behave materially or financially. It determines so much how we behave morally. In fact, at the baseline level, what we believe determines how we behave. What we believe to be true determines how we behave. And it determines how we even live spiritually, which determines what happens to us after this life. What we believe 
determines how we behave. And not just, not just consciously, but sometimes even subconsciously. For example, I was recently a part of a challenge that you all heard about a little bit ago. Um, I thought at one point of this challenge, I had the upper hand. So I behaved a little bit, uh, a little bit confidently and started raising the stakes to this challenge because I believed I had the upper hand. Well, it turned out I didn't and it came back to bite me. But the point is how I, how I believed determined how I behaved. So why did Jesus come? Well, he came to testify to the truth. Uh, but here's the thing. Uh, there are those that actually oppose the truth. And in the passage that we're going to study today, uh, John in 1 John uses some uh, very strong language to classify uh, people who oppose the truth. Um, and so what I want to do today, I want to I read that portion that we just read a little bit ago, and I want to set up what's happening and take a deep dive um, into truth and some dangerous ideas that exist in our society about truth. And then lastly, I would like to take a look at the life of Jesus from an objective view so that we can actually look into this truth and look into the very question that Pilate asked, what is truth? So if you have your Bibles with you, open it to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, we are in week three of a series on 1 John called Love One Another. Uh, and a few weeks ago, Pastor John mentioned that uh, John, when he wrote this uh, epistle, was in his, uh, he was advanced in years when he wrote this. Um, and we actually, uh, when we look at 1 John, it actually reads a little bit more like a poetic sermon instead of like a letter. And, and his, his sermon here really focuses heavily on the teachings of Jesus. Like there weren't a lot of new ideas introduced. It was more focused on uh, just reassuring people of the teachings of Jesus. And in the church that he wrote, most likely he wrote to a number of house churches uh, in Ephesus, um, you kind of get the feel that there's some sort of crisis going on in the church. And that crisis was most likely some false teaching that existed during, the, during this time called Gnosticism. Uh, Gnosticism is actually really hard to define. It's not really a religion. It's kind of like a philosophy, but in some ways it's kind of religion. Basically what Gnosticism is, is Christian, Jewish, and pagan teachings that they all kind of jammed together um, and made this sort of philosophy. The one thing that really defined it well, and again, it, it, it's actually really hard to define, um, is this idea that there is this secret knowledge that you need. In fact, some of their writings say in order to release yourself from the physical world, to release your spirit from this physical world, you had to understand the secret knowledge. Like it was just kind of bizarre that way. Uh, so there was this obsession with finding secret truth. Uh, so in this text uh, we have from John, we're going to see this idea of truth come up 
often. Uh, So let's read this together. I'm going to start in verse 18 of chapter 2. It says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. In verse 20, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. Denying the Father and the Son. And no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has been taught to you, remain in him. So there's a few things I just want you to note uh, from this passage. Uh, John says that many antichrists have come, which he sets up later as liars. The antichrists are those who lie about uh, Jesus being the Christ. And then we know from his writings that he's talking to believers because he's over and over he says, you know the truth. And then finally he establishes Christ, um, he, he establishes Jesus as Lord. And so we have, we have these three kind of big aspects of this text. We have um, him acknowledging the Antichrist, who he calls liars. And then he talks to, uh, he's talking to people who know the truth. And then he talks about the truth being that Jesus is the Lord. So, so John also kind of sets this up as like Jesus is the way. Like there really is no other way. Um, which is a very divisive topic in our culture. You know, our culture does not really love the idea that we say the truth is that Jesus Christ is the only way, which is really what John is setting up here. But that brings up the question that we posed in the beginning, what is truth? So I want to talk about that. Um, I very much believe that we have a spiritual enemy uh, scripture calls him the adversary. Uh, he, they call, it calls him Satan, the deceiver. And I believe in our culture, the truth has been distorted and broken. And there are two very specific weapons that are, I believe are being used on the truth. So I want to talk about those two weapons. The first is this thing called relativism. Relativism is the belief that there is no absolute truth. Uh, Not only is there no absolute truth, 
But truth is defined by culture. Culture decides what truth is. Um, there's really this German philosopher um, that really coined this in the best way. Um, his name was Hegel. And the one thing that he said was when a thesis meets an antithesis, those two combine and make a synthesis. Or truth meets an opposing thought, those two meet and a new truth is formed. For example, how many of you were uh, alive in the 1950s? How many of you say that during that time, marriage was sacred? Marriage was very sacred. It was considered holy. I mean, if you got a divorce, it was just kind of like, you just really didn't do that. Because marriage was considered to be holy. Now, how many of you were still alive in the 60s? Now, the 60s were very different, right? Marriage wasn't sacred in the 60s. Um, Actually, it was quite the opposite. You could sleep with whoever you wanted, and it was totally fine. Like, that was just just okay. Um, And so we have this, this truth of marriage is sacred meets this other thing of it's not. You can do whatever you want. And those two meet, and now we have what we have today, where we say... Well, marriage is okay, but it's not a big deal. Like, it's not that important. And really, why would you get married in the first place? Like, just live together. You see how truth in a relativist mindset changes. It's malleable. It's not constant. The other weapon that I believe is being used is this idea of subjectivism. What is subjectivism? Subjectivism also does not believe in absolute truth, but it goes a step further to say truth isn't necessarily defined by culture. Truth is defined by the individual. And you don't have to look outside of anybody else other than yourself to tell you what is true. Since there is no absolute truth, Uh, You can't impose your beliefs on me. I am the source of truth. And I'll determine my actions and what are right or wrong based on how I feel. Subjectivism leads me to believe that if it feels good, it has to be true. As long as it makes me happy, that's all that matters. And as long as I am sincere about what I believe, it doesn't really matter. Again, can we see a little bit of danger in this mindset? And because people today don't necessarily embrace the idea of absolute truth, when it comes to religion and eternal issues, here's what we often get today. What doesn't really matter what you believe? You can believe whatever you want. It all sort of comes to the same place. It doesn't matter what you believe. And don't Don't impose your beliefs on me, especially if those beliefs are Christian beliefs. Like, I don't want anything to do with that. Like, like this idea that a loving God would send me to hell, like, that just can't be true. It doesn't feel good to me. So that can't be true. And besides, this whole Christian thing and Jesus being the only way is really narrow-minded. I don't really like that. You are very bigoted and closed-minded if you believe that way. 
Like, there are many paths to get to heaven. And you do your thing, and I'll do mine thing, and we'll see if we all end up in the same place. Now, this mindset seems fair. It, it, it seems like they're trying to be sincere. And we kind of think that this is sort of what the world believes, but what, I want to show you a few statistics that are very alarming here in America. 53% over half of Americans believe that if a person is generally good, they will go to heaven. As long as they're not some sort of axe murderer or something, they'll be fine. The next stat is 43% of born-again Christians believe that all religions are basically the same. They teach the same things, so it doesn't really matter as much what what you believe, because they all have similar life lessons. 57% of evangelical church members said that they believe that many religions can lead to eternal life. Now, I am a believer, and I believe that faith in Christ is the only way that you can achieve salvation. But you don't have to take my word for it. I would like to do, with the rest of our time, I would like to talk about four ways uh, that are four things that Jesus taught and just take a look at his life from an objective standpoint. Like if, you're, if people aren't buying into this idea that Jesus is the only way, there's four sort of things I want us to look at together. And I want to I I kind of build a case for Christ, but... It's not even for the sake of for you. It's just for us to collectively take a look together um, at these four things. The first thing that I would like to take an objective look is look at what Jesus taught. You can hate Christians and Christianity and despise Christians because you might think that we're, um, we're a little hypocritical and stuff. And sometimes we are. Uh, but, but just take a look at what Jesus taught. Like the absolute highest of highest standards for his followers. And I could have picked a bunch of verses, but uh, one that just pops out is Luke chapter 6, verses 27 through 20, 29. Here's what Jesus taught. He said, love your enemies. Like we could just stop there because that's just really beautiful. But then he said, do good to those who hate you. I mean, again, just amazing stuff. Bless those who curse you. I was driving one, one day a long time ago, and a motorcycle behind me didn't really enjoy my driving, so he decided to pass me, and when he got to a stop sign, put his kickstand down, came back to my truck, and just started cussing at me and yelling at me and threatening to hurt me. Now, my first thought was not, I need to bless this guy. He's just, he's just having a bad day, and I just need to love him. But this is profound otherworldly teaching that Jesus has here to love those people, to bless those people. And in verse 29, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other one to him also. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. I mean, if you just take a look at what Jesus taught, no matter what you think about Christianity, you'd have to admit 
that if the world lived this way, we would just be in a much better place. The second thing is I want you to take a look at the miracles that Jesus performed. Mark chapter 6, 2 says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things? They asked. What's, the, what's this wisdom and what has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? Maybe you're thinking, I don't really believe in miracles, but, but just take a look at the miracles that Jesus performed. Like he, he caused blind people to see. He turned water into wine. He did all of these miraculous miracles. And take a look at his enemy's response. There's not a single enemy that was like, oh, he's got something up his sleeve or he's just trying to trick you. Like his enemies did not doubt the validity of Christ's miracles. You never see the Pharisees question that. All they want to do is stop him and trap him. They don't question the validity. Even his enemies didn't debate that. So take a look at his miracles. Number three, I want you to take a look at the resurrection. This is a pretty, pretty big part of Christianity. Uh, the Bible claims that Jesus was God in the flesh and he became sin for us and he shed his blood on a cross and he, and he died and rose again three days later. Now, this is kind of what sets Christianity apart from uh, a lot of other world religions. But in Acts chapter 3, verse 15, Peter said, we were witnesses of his resurrection. Like We saw it. We were there. We saw it happen. We were right there. And maybe you're questioning it, thinking, well, like, could Jesus really from the dead. Like maybe the Roman soldiers, there's, there's tons of arguments about where Jesus could have gone. Maybe the Roman soldiers took Christ's body. And that theory starts to break down really quickly. Like at some point when the Christians were all running around going, he's risen, you'd think the Roman soldiers would have been like, you know what, we got you. Like we, we took his body. Or maybe, maybe you buy into the argument that the disciples stole the body of Christ. That they went and they overpowered these UFC class Roman soldiers and stole the body all to trick the world into being a better place. But at some point, the Roman soldiers would have been like, you know, they kind of stole the body. Or at the very least, we know from history that John lived to be in his old age. We know that Judas uh, took his own life after Jesus uh, was betrayed by him. And we know that all the other disciples were martyred. They died like very harsh deaths. Like they, it came to the point where it was like, renounce your faith or we're going to throw you into a den of lions. We're going to crucify you. Like, would you be willing to die for a lie? And at some point you have to ask yourself, do you really think a rational thinking person would believe that 11 uneducated small town men devised the greatest scheme in history all to trick the world into being a better place at enormous personal loss and even unto death. And the fourth thing, take a look at what Jesus claimed. Look at what he claimed. In John chapter 14, verse 6, here's what he claimed. He says, Jesus answered, and said, I am the way. Not one 
of the ways, not one of many ways. I am the way. And he said, I am the truth. Not one of many truths, not part of a truth, but I am the truth. And I'm what else? I am the life. And he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Like, you have to admit that that's a very exclusive statement that Jesus makes here. He says, I am the way, and you don't get to God any other way than through me. And Jesus is the only one that ever made a statement like this. Like, Muhammad didn't make a statement like this. Buddha didn't make a statement like this. Confucius didn't make a statement like this. Jesus made this statement. And, he's, and here's what I want you to do. Look at what he taught. Look at his miracles, look at his resurre- resurrection, and look at what he claimed about himself. And then we're left with a few options of what to do after we've done that. After we take a look at Jesus, we're left with a few options. You can say that he's a liar. You could say that. He was a good liar, if that was the case. He fooled 12 disciples to giving up everything to follow him, to leaving their homes and their families, and to toss that all away and follow him. But one thing you cannot do, if you call Jesus a liar, you can't call him a good moral teacher. And that's what a lot of people do. They say, well, I don't really believe that Jesus was Lord, but he was a good moral teacher. Well, if he, was, if he wasn't Lord, then he's a terrible moral teacher because he was a liar. Now, the challenge we also have to be faced with, if Jesus was a liar, if I'm lying about my identity, at some point I've got to give in. Like, I'm going through ministry for two and a half years, and it's going really well, but now they're taking a whip to my back that has shards of glass and metal in them. At some point, maybe it's it's lash 38 or 39, at some point I'm going to have to say, you know what, I'm lying about who I am. Or maybe it was the point for me if, if somebody was beating me in the face with rings on their, on their fingers to the point where I was unrecognizable, I'd have to say, you know what, guys, I'm, I'm lying about who I am. Or maybe for me, it would be the point where they're taking a nail and they're driving it through my hand. I'd have to stop and say, you know what, guys, I'm lying about who I am. The second thing we're left with is maybe we say he's a, he's a fanatic. He's a lunatic. Like he's crazy. Like he's a, he's a Jim Jones. He's a Marshall Applewhite. Like we're going we're gonna to fly away. Like maybe, that, maybe that's your thought. And you could say that. And then the last one we're met with is Jesus was who he said he was. That he is Lord. And there's your options. And that's all we're left with. You can call him a bold-faced liar. You can spit in his face and, and call him a lunatic. Or you can get down on your knees with your face to the ground. And you can call him Lord. One time Jesus was with his disciples. And uh, they were all trying to figure out who Jesus was. Some of them were saying, uh, you're this guy. 
or, or you're that guy, or, or you're Elijah, or you're a prophet, or this is who you are. And Jesus cuts straight through all of that noise, and he looks straight at Peter and he asks him a question. He says, who do you say that I am? And that's the question that I would respectfully like to ask you today. Who do you say that he is? And what I'm not saying is, who does your mouth say that he is? But I'm asking, what does your life say about Jesus? Because in the beginning we said, what we believe to be true defines how we live. So how are you living? Who is he to you? I want to tell you who he is to me. He is the one that reached into my dark and broken heart and replaced it with something new. He is the one that took a broken man filled with sin and forgave him for more sin than I could ever imagine. He is the one that gave me the power to overcome strongholds and rebuilt me and renewed me to becoming a more, a, a more spiritual man, a better man of God. He is the one that continues to work in my life that is still sometimes broken and in need of him. And he is the one who filled me with the Holy Spirit of God and gave me access to the throne room of heaven. He is the one who works in my life to make me better each and every single day. And he is the one that has made me bold enough to stand up here and say, seek him, seek him. And I believe that with everything in me that he will reveal himself to you through the word of God, if you seek him, if you seek him. And I believe today that you will say, if you seek him, that he is the Lord God and you will surrender your will and your life to him. But here's the thing, you don't have to do that. Like you can say that he's a liar, you can say that he's crazy. But the scripture tells us that one day you will bow. It says one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that you look his way and that you will do that today. You know, Christ has set me free. And he is the truth. But I believe that the power of God can win you over as well. And I can't make a convincing enough argument all the time. All I can show you is what he has done in me. You see, Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. Seek and abide in him. So Father, today, we look to you as the truth. Father, not something changing, not something malleable, but the constant truth that you are. Father, you are the way. We believe that you are Lord. 
we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for the ways that you change us, that you make us new. Father, we believe you are bringing all things back to yourself. Father, thank you for your son. We pray this all in your son's name.